Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Basic greeting, a bit of waffle, introduce guests, pretend to care what they've been up to, something about the date, <laughs> section in the bin, needless cricket reference, oblique message about Scientology, oh sorry I'm reading the running order not the script, sorry my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Hello Buglers and welcome to issue 4208 of the Bugle with me Andy Zaltzman in the shed, not live and in zero dimensions as is so often the case with the recorded audio shows, unless you count time and sound as dimensions, which is up to you, it's Monday the 11th of October 2021, as we record, and later on we will be looking at the global supply chain uh, uh, problems, but there's no such trouble with our Bugle co-hosts this week. First, someone who's not been on the show for six months, during which time he's been a mixture of stuck in a shipping container and or totally out of fuel. I assume that's why he's not been on anyway, but thankfully the global supply of Tom Ballard's is flowing once again. Uh, Welcome back, Tom. Um, um, Have uh, have you been? Um, I have been terrible. Oh, right. <laughs> Hang on. Sorry, I should uh, have some humorous jokes about this, but no, I've had a mental collapse and a identity crisis, questioning my place in the world. Um, there's been a lot of inflation around my body as well. I've put on a lot of weight, and I'm desperate for this hellhole of pandemic lockdown to be over, so I can be free and uh, out there living a more fulfilling life, connecting with other human beings. But thank you for asking, Andy. I, right, I know <laughs> how important it is to you to check in with us and ask us what That's we've right. been up to. So Just thanks, classic man. bit of introductory banter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, now, obviously, the idea that supplies of everything are grinding to a halt is just another global conspiracy by the Bilderberg Group to make us inject ourselves with tracking devices and donate all our organs to Warren Buffett to make him functionally immortal. However, the supply chain of new Bugle co-hosts is also uh, in good health. So welcome to the show, uh, Neil Delamere. Hello, how are you? Uh, great, thanks. Lovely to have you uh, have you on the on the show. Int- introduce yourself to the listeners. Neil. I am I am joining you from Ireland in the EU, where there are no shortages at the <laughs> oh, moment. No. I've had I've had my first petrol bath of the day, Andy. It was <laughs> delightful. Uh, the scented candles were a bit of a risk. I will admit to that, but I'm feeling very relaxed. I'm looking at my water feature in my garden. It's a little boy weeing water into the fountain that you may have seen before. Except it's not little boy. It's GR Ewing, and it's not water it's diesel but the point stands i am very very well gentlemen and i do like that you asked me a question i can answer it rather than asking tom what i believe is called a que- it, it, you know in the legal dramas they always say don't ask a question that you don't know the answer to you got more than you bargained for there and i really enjoyed the discomfort i have to say <laughs> sorry i just forgot oh, you're I welcome I forgot I wasn't speaking to someone British who would just say, oh, I'm fine, oh, fine, fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> Squeeze it back down. Asked and answered. <laughs> Why are you drinking at 11 o'clock this morning? I'm fine. I've told you already. <laughs> oh. We are recording on uh, Monday the 11th of October. The 12th of October marks the 100th anniversary of the 187th anniversary of the 242nd anniversary of the day that explorer, entrepreneur, travel writer and frequent shithead Christopher Columbus arrived on the western side of the Atlantic. Fair to say, Team Europe's behaviour in the subsequent centuries has not always been tip-top. 
Uh, and certainly uh, Columbus and his uh, acolytes and followers interpreted the philosophy of Jesus Christ, who of course was uh, Europe's number one ranked messiah in 1492, pretty loosely. Or maybe that since 1492 we've just lost some of the uh, chapters of the Bibles that Columbus and uh, uh, the like read, featuring the parable of the genocidal occupation and the miracle where Jesus turned free people into slaves and money. And back in the OG Testament, Psalm 287, I think you'll find that's actually mine now. Uh, Wednesday the 13th of October <laughs> is Bring Your Teddy Bear to Work Day. But the big question is, what should you do with your teddy bear when you get there? Recent research shows that in 64% of all jobs, it doesn't matter in terms of overall output if the work is done by a human or a teddy bear. These jobs include <laughs> cabinet minister, chief executive, action movie script editor and football referee. So don't just take your teddy bear to work. Let it do your job. Disclaimer, the bugle cannot be held responsible for any vehicular accidents, spot surgeries, escape prisoners or, or, or other workplace mishaps resulting from you letting your teddy bear do your job. As always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin this week fear uh tomorrow uh, the 12th of october as we record is world face your fears day and our special section is in fact a free offer we will face a fear for you choose from one of the following five common fears career ending asteroid strike the unstoppable march of time finding a wasp's nest in your underwear drawer finding a republican in your underwear drawer or having to make a speech to the chinese politburo but you've lost your notes you don't have any clothes on you're dangling from a trapeze whilst uh, in a rickety old 1930s airplane surrounded by mice with clown makeup on and the microphone is quite literally a snake we will face down one of those five fears on your behalf to email us with fear a b c d or e in the subject box and we will leave you to spend the rest of world face your fears day finding a fresh new thing to be afraid of maybe buses or Judy Dench films or slightly oversalted bread or those parts of the year where there is no test cricket or the fact that maybe you are nothing but a mortal corporeal entity in desperate need perhaps of some kind of spiritual cleansing at uh, that section in the bin <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a question about that yep. um, you know you say finding a republic a republican in your underwear drawer yes. I would suggest that there are levels so Australian <laughs> Republican mm, doesn't like the Queen that much. American yep. Republican, mm, interesting. Irish Republican, I think there's three different levels there. And you <laughs> I probably should specify that. Well, both the type of Republican and the the nature of the underwear involved. Top story this week. There's a tough winter ahead. It's October and that only means one thing. It's uh, heading towards November and then December, which as the vast majority of the world recognises is winter time. Uh, six and a half billion people can't be wrong, Tom. Um, whatever you crazy people think. <laughs> and um, <laughs> this, uh, this winter looks set to be a bit of a tricky one for the world. Shortages of fuel, food and stuff in general become the trendy must-have accessory for any up-to-the-minute fashion-conscious uh, economy. Um, what are you guys most uh, most looking forward to uh, in the uh, oh, the winter of discontent that seems to be looming around the world? Well, i got to say, Andy, from an Australian perspective, it's just it's just lovely to have some great news, you know, some yep. good news story uh, coming out of the Northern Hemisphere, seeing as we're all still stuck in a pandemic lockdown <laughs> and trapped on this giant prison island down here. <laughs> it's nice to know that while you guys in the Northern Hemisphere might have higher vaccination rates and freedoms than us, it doesn't sound like you're going to be able to f***ing enjoy any of it. You're not going to be able to attend large live events or enjoy the holidays with loved ones. You'll be too busy stockpiling fish fingers and beating back the marauding gangs that will be going door to door, <laughs> harvesting all of your Christmas pudding ingredients and siphoning gas directly from your own assholes so they can sell it on the black market. Sucks to be you, Andy. <laughs> 
it's a it's a it's a very it's a very fair point. Uh, Neil, what's uh, what what are you uh, especially uh, excited I, about at the moment? I just quite like the uh, the stockpiling. I think I think Pot Noodle has really stepped up to the plate with their new Apocalypse range, Andy. <laughs> I mean, I think what they've done there is amazing. Chicken Chow Stalingrad is mm, mm, absolutely <laughs> wrap me tikka masala. Have you tried it? Ooh. Oh, ooh, the Kung Po shoe leather is my personal favorite. <laughs> I have to say, I'm, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying the newfound power that HGV drivers have. I quite yep. like that idea. Like this idea that uh, the UK government is going here. We please come in. We'll give you a few visas, and they know they've never been in more demand. If I was a HGV driver, I'd be like, visa? Will you get out with your visa. I want a passport. I want a gun, a golden hovercraft, stem cells from a virgin, and a fresh, not a dried, a fresh supply of hitchhikers. These are my demands. You know, I would be nailing them to the local cathedral door. I like that. I have to say, I really like that. And I thought you'd like that reference. Yes. Well, 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 well stem welcome, cells welcome from a show. virgin. That is a Catholic nightmare. That is. That's really a. <laughs> no, that's the foundation of the faith, I think. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> what is shrinkflation? Tell me what shrink. Explain shrinkflation to me, Andy. It confuses me. Ah, oh, well, uh, well, Neil, I, th I think you are the bugle's uh, shrinkflation uh, correspondent. Uh, yes. Essentially, it's where the price of a, a product stays the same, but the quantity that you're getting for that price comes down. Uh, yeah. Is that uh, that's correct? Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Uh, energy prices are going up. Uh, all the staple prices are going up. So rather than some food company charging you uh, more, they charge you the same amount, and they give you say five cream eggs as one example, rather than six, and you're meant to not notice this. It's happening all over the place. Uh, even mm. if you don't know it, I bought a, a Terry's chocolate Satsuma the other day by mistake, <laughs> and this sort of stuff is everywhere. 90% <laughs> of Britons in a recent survey said that they were annoyed at signs of shrinkflation. And of course, that was 95% last year. So even <laughs> within the survey, this sort of stuff has happened. Right. But actually, the average, the average height and weight of the people annoyed has also come down. Yeah, massively oh, wow. so. Yeah, it's it's happening. Every, everything's getting smaller. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to I like to go in Scotland for my holidays, and I went to the Isle of Skye and I went horse riding. And the horses were huge and massive and muscular. And a couple of weeks ago, I went to Shetland. Unbelievably disappointing, I have to say. <laughs> they were absolutely tiny, and I think it's time that we we start protesting this. Yes. They're riding roughshod over us. It, it, I mean, it is it is tragic. M multi packs of crisps have come down from. 24 packets to, to 22 uh, which has caused rioting on the streets bags of peanuts down by 10% in size eggs down from chicken eggs to worm eggs uh, fizzy drinks are now 50% more bubbles equating to 8% less liquid frozen peas are now mostly hollow uh, the supermarket chain Adequate has just uh, launched its new just the packaging range which has absolutely no food in whatsoever I mean jelly babies I remember they were jelly adults um, yeah and um, <laughs> Next year it'll be je jelly embryos. <laughs> <laughs> Getting uh, uh, banned in Texas, of course. I was reading an article about this. It said recent examples include Walkers, which cut two bags of crisps from its 24 bag multi packs while the price stayed at £3.50. Smith's, Smith's Frazzles and Chipsticks now sell in a pack of six bags instead of eight for £1. And uh, Andy, I believe Frazzles and Chipsticks was the original name of your double act with John Oliver. Isn't that right? <laughs> it, it was, yeah. Isn't that right, and, Frazzles? Uh, 
that, that is. <laughs> Frazzles and chipsticks are also his nicknames for his testicles. <laughs> oh, really? Mm. Frazzles, Frazzles is a bit more fast and loose with the rules. He's actually going to base a buddy cop movie on his own testicles. <laughs> chipsticks? I was yeah. one day away from retirement. <laughs> I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> this shit. I hang lower. Come well, on. Yeah. To be honest, my, my testicles are in retirement, essentially, anyway, so <laughs> too close to home. Um, obviously, the, pi- the pioneer of shrinkflation was Jesus Christ, um, who fed the 5,000, but did he fill the 5,000? Uh, questions uh, remain. And, you know, it's much about branding, isn't it? Is it shrinking, or is it, you know, is it Nouvelle Cuisine? Um, you know, potato, little artisan potato. Uh, it's, very, it's very hard to tell, really. There's a way around this as well, because all these foods are going to get more expensive, right? So why do we keep buying them? Like Heinz and Kraft and all the rest are going, oh, listen, you're going to have to buy our stuff and it's going to be more expensive. Let's go back to the old ways. Why don't we make them ourselves? I mean, you could buy Pepsi Max or you could get a, a, a smoker that you know to cough their tar into an aquarium. <laughs> and once the the pump puts bubbles into it, that's, you know, Pepsi Max, essentially. You know, right. Do you want Capri Sun or do you want to piss in some tinfoil? These are the questions we have to ask ourselves. Is it a Raffaello? Is it some white dog shit? I mean, <laughs> think outside the box. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at a few other um, effects. Uh, more shrinkflation happening across British society, Andy. The number of balls in a cricket over will be cut from six down to four. The number of surviving beetles is expected to be slashed by 50% any day now. Uh, Andy Zaltzman's shows are expected to come with 45% fewer puns. And, in fact... Cost pressures are now getting so bad, the Met Police has had to slash any criminal investigations into allegedly pedophilic members of the royal family by 100% now. They're down 100%. Which is going to save a lot of money. Um, uh, well, Kraft Heinz said, as you say, said people are going to have to get used to higher food prices. But it's interesting that they went with that. People are having to get used to higher food prices. They're not saying we're going to have to get used to lower, lower profits. Very much... You know, this is landing on, on the consumer. Now, Kraft Heinz has made between 8 and 10 billion profits a year uh, in the last few years. Now, surely, you know, think they must be putting some of that away for a rainy day. And by rainy day, I do, of course, mean absolute global shitstorm. Um, but, <laughs> you think, you know. Do you think the people who make baked beans have ever considered putting stuff away for a while? Do you think those people have ever... <laughs> You know, have they ever come across people in bunkers or anything like that? Like, it just seems that something that they should have heard about, doesn't it? <laughs> they, sh- they should have done. But, you know, apparently there's now a certainty there will be shortages at Christmas in uh, in, in the UK. Um, but I think, you know, like everything, we've got to put a positive Brexit spin on this. We're going back to enjoying British Christmas as a British spiritual British festival and a chance to Britishly spend British time with our British families unencumbered by presents and filthy foreign food like turkey. <laughs> Food and, and potatoes, which is American nonsense. So you know, it's not all bad. Yeah, I mean, I think that the worries about inflation—you know, inflation is at three point two percent, like something like this—and people are getting very worried in the UK about inflation. And if you listen, if you just listen carefully, you can hear the people of Zimbabwe and Venezuela going, "Oh God, love you, three point two percent. What are you gonna do? Three point two percent over a full year? Oh, God, do you want us to hold a concert for you? Do you? Why don't you get a shotgun and some whiskey and go into the study if you can afford it and do the decent thing? Like the, it was." It was three. What was that? Put your shotgun on eBay to try and raise a bit of extra money. That- well, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Can I just say, Neil, that was the best Zimbabwean Venezuelan accent that I've ever heard in my comedy career. <laughs> you know, I considered both and then thought, I like working. <laughs> <laughs>
I just like working. <laughs> I thought maybe I could do Hugo Chavez, but you know, I'm not doing Mugabe. I mean, I'm not doing Mugabe. <laughs> it was it, inflation was three hundred thousand percent in Venezuela. Three hundred thousand percent. Yeah. The, the Rolo ads really meant a lot in Caracas because <laughs> when you but when you bought a packet of Rolo. The last Rolo was was like worth 47 times more than the first Rolo. So you really had to love the person a lot to give them the last Rolo. <laughs> I've never seen the economic subtext of that before. You see, there's ancillary effects of these things yeah. that we don't really think about. In uh, other uh, British winter shortage news, uh, people have been anxiously waiting for guidance uh, from the government on various things. Uh, um, Energy Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng who seems to be hoping that scientists will find a way of converting evasiveness into electricities, uh, refused to give energy companies a steer on uh, what help the government may give them. And then when pressed on uh, winter clothing in an interview, said, my job as energy minister is not to tell people how many layers of clothing they should wear. That's not really my job. That is the, the, the level of our politics. Now, he was asked if he's advising people to wear another woolly jumper or a pair of socks. He said it's up to people. It's amazing how different people's cold thresholds can be. <laughs> that, will, that will be their next policy. Mm, another woolly jump. Okay. Electric. Okay. Electricity blackouts. Wear the woolly jumper. You get a government-issued balloon. <laughs> if you could just rub yourself with that and then plug yourself into the national grid and put the socks on and run on the carpet. Run on that carpet. Um... I mean, it is essentially the government's uh, strategy as they've cut the uh, £20 a week extra universal credit uh, rise that has um, helped people through the recent um, <laughs> global shambozzles. Uh, it's been de-rised in, in the last week in, in technical uh, <laughs> parlance. And I think they're basically just now advising the poor to develop a higher cold and hu hunger threshold, um, which is actually a very efficient form of, uh, of government. And I mean, it's all part of the government's plan to sort of Thelma and Louise Britain into the next chapter of the COVID, uh, of the COVID economic story. But in this version of Thelma and Louise, Louise straps a brick to the accelerator pedal, jumps out of the car and says, Thelma, why don't you just see how it goes and report back? I will hold the thought here. Cheers, hon. <laughs> Ian Duncan Smith was against the getting rid of the £20 credit. Uh, like, <laughs> Ian Duncan Smith which means he was clearly recently visited by three ghosts, you would imagine. <laughs> One of the main reasons they're worried about uh, about the electricity prices and the gas prices is because Europe in particular is so dependent on Russia. Uh, like, you cannot make any sort of decent deals when Putin controls the supply of gas. Like, they must have been on Zoom calls with Vladimir Putin going, you're, you know, your actions in Crimea were a disgrace and the sanctions are going to stay in place. And he's just like, look at your cooker. <laughs> what? Oh look! It appears the front ring has turned itself off. That's so sad. If that egg was not to boil itself. Um, well, just looking on the, on the Bloomberg website, they were uh, tipping uh, Russian companies as a sound investment at the moment, which I think kind of just summarises everything that is currently wrong. <laughs> Um, also, uh, schools have been told to stockpile food uh, to avoid winter shortages because of the supply chain chaos. And uh, I think this is great. This is good practical lessons for school children. And we've made it too easy for our kids being fed, uh, most of them. Um, I mean, obviously, as the old saying goes, you can feed some of the children 
all of the time and all of the children some of the time as long as charities and footballers step in and help out but you can't feed all of the children all of the time unless you give a shit and that's you know you can so you can understand the government sort of not necessarily stepping into the breach on this and you know it's 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 a good lesson you know if schools are short of food over the winter it teaches them all different types of subject mathematics you know, if Barry has stockpiled six lunches and Ian has stockpiled nine lunches and there are three, le- three weeks left of the winter term, on what day and at what time will Barry and Ian be having a fight to the death in the school playground over the last available sausage roll? <laughs> and for an extra two marks, how many children will have to be dangerously hungry before a government minister takes some responsibility for the situation? Which, of course, is a trick math question, because if you multiply anything by zero, it stays at zero. <laughs> <laughs> Maths and satire. Wow. <laughs> That's what we're here for. <laughs> it, it's a genius manoeuvre to, to, to outmanoeuvre Marcus Rashford, isn't it? And all the pressure he puts on them to go out, give out free school meals, you know? Yep. Not having food. Oh, your move, Marcus. What are you going <laughs> to make us do now? There's nothing here. Hmm? Divide that. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, for those of you uh, unfamiliar. Marcus Rashford is the um, uh, leader of the opposition. Um, Keir Starmer <laughs> stepping in from while Rashford recovers from a shoulder injury. My wife pointed out to me about the HDV uh, visas thing. You know, th- so the government said, "Listen, we're going to have emergency visas," and only twenty-seven people applied from the EU to get HDV um, visas. How many countries are in the EU? Well, I mean, slightly fewer than they used to be. Yeah, um, so there's 27. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. It right. does sound like the EU deliberately sent one person <laughs> each to absolutely take the piss out of Boris Johnson's government, like the Eurovision. Right. Well, you say that, but maybe they are all sending us their absolute best lorry driver because they know what an amazing note. They can only send Britain the absolute cream of the cream. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, if the Eurovision is anything to judge by, that's definitely the answer <laughs> to the question. I think just news just in, it's just now being slashed to 25 uh, visas for lorry drivers due to true inflation. So already the numbers are coming down. <laughs> Can you confirm that, 10 4? <laughs> <laughs> it's 23 now. AUKUS update news now. Well, a few weeks ago, we uh, reported exclusively for the world on the AUKUS deal between Australia, the UK and the USA involving some nuclear-powered uh, submarines. Um, Tom, as, a, as, a, as an Australian uh, who's a massive fan of uh, nuclear warfare uh, from memory... <laughs> Bring us up to date with the, the latest uh, the latest fallout from this uh, rather extraordinary deal that has um, pissed off the French significantly. Yeah, it's still fucked, Andy. There's your update right, right okay, there. Good, it's right. always good to check in. Um, even as ordinary British people are punching each other in the face at petrol stations and paying 45 <laughs> quid for half a gram of peanut brittle, and Australians are still diseased and held in solitary confinement under a police state administered by a corrupt political class, all of us groaning under crippling intergenerational public debt, don't worry everyone, we still have the resources to build multi-billion dollar nuclear death tubes that won't be delivered for another 40 years and will almost certainly begin World War Three. It's still on track, Andy. Well, that's, that, is reassuring. that is reassuring at this, this, this time of uncertainty that we can still rely on. <laughs> There's uh, one thing that we can hang on to, yes. Um, uh, AUKUS, as you mentioned, it's Australia, it's the UK, it's the US. It's sort of, they've put the names together. It's kind of the geopolitical Brangelina. That's how I like to think of it. And <laughs> it's kind of a diplomatic three-way, but uh, like all three-ways, it's sticky, it stinks, and someone's going to get hurt. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed that more than, <laughs> more than you did. Show, Tom. <laughs> 
Australia. Oh, sorry. I admire the fact that you didn't mention semen anywhere there. I respect your respect. No. <laughs> Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Neil. Always. Never Always go to hack act. on the bugle. <laughs> <laughs> We love it, though. I don't know if, if you mentioned it on your show, but when, when it was announced in Australia, our Prime Minister slash marketing exercise made flesh, Scott Morrison, described the alliance with the UK and the US as a forever partnership, which I would argue seems a little bit clingy to me. And maybe, yes. Scott, mm. you just play a little bit cool, keep your options open. Nothing in politics is forever except for the presidency of Xi Jinping. And he's <laughs> going to be calling the shots until death. He's 68. Joe Biden's going to be lucky to get through this winter. So let's not be picking our teams just yet, okay, Scott? Let's just see how it plays out a little bit, yeah? yeah. It's, it's a forever partnership is something that he carves into a tree. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Biden and Scott forever. Yes. And also forever. Also, bear bear in mind this forever partnership is between uh, the UK and uh, two former uh, members of of the UK who decided that they didn't want to be forever in that partnership. So you know, this is very much a second go at a, at a marriage that's not entirely worked the first time round. Um, the word is that that France is uh, well no longer trusts. Uh, the UK, uh, which isn't a problem for us in the UK, because we've got some of the world's most trusting and trustworthy despots on side instead of our uh, European partners, and it's much easier to build long-term relationships with them uh, because, as you said, Tom, they don't get annoyingly voted out of office uh, so often. <laughs> but there's now concern of exactly how these subs are going to be uh, powered. There's uh, pressure on the uh, AUKUS partners to scrap plans to use weapons-grade uranium on submarines, and I think that stems from a lack of faith in the sentence, weapons-grade weapons uranium. What the f*** could possibly go wrong with that? <laughs> um, if Australia gets weapons-grade uranium, everyone is going to want weapons-grade uranium, so that must make you, you know, proud to be such a such a trendsetter. Uh, <laughs> everyone wants to copy the great Australian yeah. model. Everyone, everyone wants to be cool like Australia. It's this, it's a dance as old as time. I think we could all agree, but it's it's not going well. We're pissing people off left, right, and centre. Okay, here's one report: the French Institute for International Relations think tank criticised the escalating danger of the war, including nuclear war, as you mentioned, Andy, provoked by the AUKUS treaty targeting China. The institute warned that the signing of AUKUS may trigger a nuclear arms race, and that the move dangerously exacerbates tensions in East Asia. It listed Indonesia, Malaysia, and Singapore, as well as Thailand. Laos and Cambodia as regional powers angered by the August deal. So that's just France, China, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Laos and Cambodia that we've managed to piss off simultaneously. But hey, in our defence, <laughs> we have nuclear submarines, so go f*** yourself. How about that? <laughs> or at least we're going to. Apparently they're not going to arrive before until 2040 at the earliest, which I just love that Like all the West are saying that China's an immediate threat that we need to do something about now, and we're going to act on that, and we will get that the weapons that we're talking about in like in 19 years <laughs> so don't f*** with Australia people if you mess with us expect some mild payback in a generation's time <laughs> you're not going to suffer but your children's children's children oh they're really going to feel it do you think they'll be out of quarantine by then or do you think that submarines will just be I think I know how this whole thing happened I think Australia went we want to take a stand against our own largest trading partner China even if it antagonises them and the UK went wow we have a load of experience over the last five years in this <laughs> here's the manual guys you're the best 
You're the best. It is crazy. It's like, like even if we get these submarines, when it comes to military capability between Australia and China, it's not, <laughs> it's not looking good. This will bring our total number of submarines to about 18. China has 79. Australia has 59 tanks. China has 3,205. We have 80,000 people in our military and China has 3.3 million. Okay. It's like David and Goliath, except Goliath has 3,200 tanks, and also Goliath is our biggest trading partner. Like, we need him to make the slingshot to send us to take him on. <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. The original David Goliath story was, you, know, you want to you trade in stones? Yeah, have one. Look how efficient we are. Um, I, I'll, I'll see your tiny navy and raise you the Irish navy. We have, oh, yes? in total, eight boats. Eight. <laughs> I'm not even joking. One of them is a lilo. That's unconfirmed. <laughs> we have eight boats for 2,000 miles of coastline. How unlucky a drug smuggler would you have to be <laughs> to be caught by a boat that has to cover 250 miles of coastline? Google feature section now, birds. And uh, well, it's been a, a terrific few hundred million years for birds have established themselves as uh, amongst the top creatures uh, in the air. And uh, Tom, as um, our uh, Australian um, competitive bird judging uh, competitions correspondent um nuclear been, war enthusiast yes it's uh, it's uh, it's been a very exciting week the, the bird of the year has been announced uh, in australia huge this is the nobel prize for birds uh, all yeah. right andy it's a very big deal the guardian australia for some reason <laughs> runs an australian bird of the year poll every single year uh it changes every year apparently australia is very fickle and uh, I believe there was a campaign to get the Ibis up there a few years ago, aka the bin chicken. But for 2021, the poll has been taken out by the superb fairy wren. Uh, or should I say, f***ing stolen in an absolutely controversial move by this little slut of a bird. Okay? Now, the superb fairy wren apparently looks beautiful, has a wonderful... Uh, song that you can listen to and enjoy and lots of people while in lockdown have been enjoying seeing the little fairy wren around their backyard but uh, apparently uh, they're quite scandalous the male and female mate for life and it's all wonderful that was the previous uh, belief about the superb uh, fairy wren but then scientists found out through genetic research that an individual fairy wren's nest can be made up of eggs from multiple different fathers turns out the females just before dawn sneak off for what's called a pre-dawn foray and have a little sexy rendezvous with the neighbouring male fairy wren Slut birds, Andy. Dirty <laughs> slut birds have topped the Australian bird charts. I, for one, voted for the Tasmanian bespeckled co- cock gobbler, and it's not a pretty bird. Sure, it can't sing, and when it lays an egg, it instantly dies, but at least it's not a glossy show-off spreading its minge all over town. All right? <laughs> uh, but, I mean, why, why do you think it, it's, you know, so difficult, Tom, for the, these birds to, you know, retain their title? Is it, is it just that... You know, they get to the top and they think, oh, I've done it now, and they get a bit big-headed and they get distracted by all the media commitments and they don't focus on, the, you know, the core business of, you know, being a bird. Yeah. No, it's, you know, top of the pole, you're in every paper, you're in bird baths filled with cocaine. You know, <laughs> the fame gets to your little bird brain. And yeah. um, and obviously, if it's a superb fairy wren, then it's orgies <laughs> all night and day, having a million different uh, baby chicks by a million different <laughs> fathers, destroying the moral fabric of Australian society. And no, the, I mean, this little bitch won't return to the top of the pole next year. No chance. <laughs> Genuinely Sorry, I don't, I don't know why this is my angle. They're a delightful little bird, and my mum really loves birds, and I, and I feel like I've adopted a, 
a mask for this segment that's eating away at my face. <laughs> it, I apologize. It feels like the promiscuity of this bird is, is, is a mask for something else. I think you're angry at something else and we need to delve into it in a longer session. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very lonely. It's been a long lockdown, okay? And I'm jealous <laughs> of this little bird and the amount of cock that it's getting. <laughs> But in fairness, it goes out searching for the cock. But you listen, if you did the same thing, if you got up pre-dawn and went for a cock for it, I mean, yeah. and, then, and then you didn't get it, then you could be angry. But you don't put the work in, do you? That's very true. I'm a fairy, but I guess not a, not a wren. <laughs> a superb fairy wren. <laughs> <laughs> superb fairy is a great drag name, to be fair. <laughs> Do, is it just because... <laughs> no, that's a ba- too bad a pun, even for the bugle, I'm afraid. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I've only found a level. Okay. They get so big, you know, and just, you know, they just become social media influencers and um, not necessarily Instagram don't, birds are more... Don't do it. Twitter. Don't Twitter. Do it. No. Twitter. I had to do it. Oh. I had to do it. I had to do it. I knew you'd hate it, but I knew he'd like it, so I had to do it. I was caught between the two of you like a rampant... <laughs> <laughs> bit roasted fairy wren. Um, so the best way to cook them, uh, sl- slowly and basted. Um, in other bird news, moving uh, probably not swiftly enough on, uh, scientists have discovered that birds have a mysterious, quotes, quantum sense. Now, obviously, uh, quantum is one of those words that no one f***ing understands, uh, leading qu- quantum physicist. <laughs> Least of all the James Bond producers. <laughs> leading quantum <laughs> physicist, Professor Revelita Snarjeet, uh, said, no, I've absolutely no f***ing idea what it is, and I'm a professor. Um, it's just nonsense, isn't it? I mean, if you're a scientist and you want to get something published, you just put the word quantum in it, and anyone will f***ing know it. It's a disgrace. <laughs> Of all the things going on in the world, I really didn't think you two lads would be knocked for six, mainly around birds. Maybe <laughs> that gas shortages and children starving in schools. Birds knowing how to get home and the sexual proclivities of a superb fairy wren. I suppose it's the straw that broke the camel's back, is it? Yeah, it's been a, been a tough, t- t- tough few, uh, few millennia. Um, in other uh, bird news, apparently smarter birds such as parrots monk parakeets and cockatoos can suffer psychological welfare issues if they're not provided with enough uh, mental stimulation uh, less smart birds such as chickens and turkeys uh, have other uh, psychological welfare issues like the prospect of being industrially farmed and um, the looming prospect of thanksgiving and christmas uh, but for the the clever birds without cognitive stimulation apparently they produce repetitive abnormal activities such as biting the bars on their cages and chewing or pulling out their own feathers. Well, turn it up, Freddy Featherface. We've all had a tough lockdown. Just learn to f***ing <laughs> live with it. You'd have to say, given the turkey shortages this, this Christmas, being a self-plucking parrot is a very dangerous thing. <laughs> like, if you're about to look at your children and go, I'm so sorry, but, you know, we're not going to have a turkey this year, and you look over the shoulder, and <laughs> there's a five-pound parrot essentially preparing itself for the oven. <laughs> you're like... Never mind. Like, I, I, I can't think of a more dangerous thing for them to do. Unless budgery guards, when they're stressed, just shove cranberry and stuffing up their own arses. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be anything more dangerous for them. I am I'll joking. tell you, into that, you- the superb fairy red. Oh, that's the kind of sick shit that little slut birdie's into. I'll tell you that much. Wild parrots apparently use... Uh, 
it's three quarters of their time foraging for food and that's great, great stimulation so that yeah. at least that bodes well for the UK school children who would, will spend <laughs> most of their time in the forest looking for supplies you'll be starving but they will be very stimulated Andy so you know there's a, there's a plus it's, side to these things that is good and, and, and domestic parrots by contrast spend less than an hour a day uh, usually perusing menus on uh, Deliveroo or Uber Eats before just <laughs> going for seeds again yeah so. don't eat a parrot by the way I was joking <laughs> if there's a message from this show they will probably repeat on you. <laughs> I don't care whether you like that one. That's amazing. That was excellent. But I did like it. Football news now. And Newcastle United is now officially part of Saudi Arabia. Um, it has uh, joined the oil-rich uh, Gulf uh, despotic monarchy uh, after a takeover uh, from um, <laughs> clothing tycoon uh, Mike Ashley. Um, uh, the fiance of um, the murdered journalist Jamal Khashoggi has said she's sh- uh, shocked and sad that the, um, the Saudi-led consortium has been allowed to take over uh, the Premier League <laughs> f- football club. But, I mean, it, it, this is not show redemption. That, you know that Saudi Arabia has realised that you know as you know, in terms of you know it, its profile as a franchise, killing dissenting journalists is not that popular, but football is. I mean, isn't this showing them learning as a as as a country? I think we have to make it absolutely clear legally. Uh, Andy, that the Saudi state, Batman, is completely different than the public investment fund, Bruce Wayne, right? Saudi Arabia, Clark Kent, (laughs) is not the same as the PIF Superman. Okay, I cannot say this enough. The Riyadh authorities, Peter Parker, are not the same as the wealth fund, Spider-Man. Okay, this is very important for us to say. Good for clarifying that. Thank you for covering Mm. our, our legal backs. Yeah. It could be a lot worse, you know. In uh, in Australia, uh, the South Sydney Rabbitohs, the rugby team, uh, are owned by uh, Russell Crowe, who may not have committed as many human rights violations as the state of Saudi Arabia, but he did do the mummy with Tom Cruise. So, mm. you know, you got to weigh these Good things point. up. Russell Crowe has to be stimulated, otherwise he'll pluck his own feathers. There, that's very <laughs> true. I have read that. I have heard that actually. <laughs> not a lot of people know that. <laughs> <laughs> and he once fucked a superb fairy rent, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> the, the only reason this was allowed to go through is because the Premier League apparently received legal assurances that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia will not be involved. Hmm. <laughs> have to keep an eye on that, don't we? Like, if the chants start changing, same old Yemen, always cheating, well then... <laughs> you're not going home from a certain embassy, you are going to know... <laughs> That maybe they're involved. Yes, but I mean it's interesting that, that that other Premier League clubs have demanded an emergency meeting on on this, and it's incredible where football suddenly finds its you know, moral Rubicon. You know that basically it, football clubs have been taken over by an assortment of absolute shysters and you know despotic petro states, but but finally. It's found that you know the one waffer, the, the the ethical waffer thin mint that that it cannot stomach at the end of a the meal. It's almost like the nineteen other Premier League clubs are annoyed that Newcastle is going to have loads of money to spend on players and start competing <laughs> for prizes. It's 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 almost like that, but it couldn't be that, Andy, could it? I don't it think it be could that. be that. Definitely. But the big the biggest sovereign wealth fund is Norway, 
So why don't other clubs go after Norwegians? Everybody likes Norwegians. Why don't you go after Norwegians? I bet the likes of Norwich will, will go for the Oslo dollar now. I reckon. <laughs> I, re- I reckon if next year, like Delia Smith's cookbook just has 50 recipes for herring, <laughs> we know what she's aiming for. Well, you can see what. Let's see why Newcastle didn't want to take take the Nor the Norwegian you know, the, the, the dirty Kroner after what the Vikings did in the in the northeast of England all those years ago. Uh, first first ever recorded raid was in Lindisfarne Monastery, just north of Newcastle in seven nine three AD. Yeah, and the monks uh, were there, and the Vikings came in, and the monks were like, "Oh no, a load of Vikings!" And <laughs> it all went downhill from there. Yeah, so one of the, well, the first of many uh, defeats for Newcastle in in Europe. <laughs> European competition. <laughs> I don't know how the second leg went in that. I, was, no, I don't think the monks uh, did too well away from home, generally. I always wondered why they were called the magpies, given that they actually haven't seen anything shiny since, like, 1969. <laughs> Zing! It we're getting some be... extremely niche football jokes now. That seems to be, like, <laughs> deeply good. ironic. I'll see your cricket, and You're I'll raise something you new to this show. A Fairs Cup reference. <laughs> <laughs> how do you like that? A bugle uh, first! <laughs> We've had some obscure sporting references, but I don't think the Fairs Cup has ever come up, Neil. That's what I'm bringing. Well done. Well done. Um, that concludes uh, this week's Bugle. Uh, huge no thanks. rumble section. What? <laughs> We've got, we're doing a special Zenith Data Systems <laughs> Cup um, hour show next it's- week. Uh, Neil, uh, thanks very much for coming on. It's been delightful to have you uh, have you on. Do you have any other uh, podcasts or live shows you'd like to tell our listeners about? Yeah, I'm doing the SSE Arena in Belfast in February. So if they could all come to that, that would be amazing. There we go. Tom, any um, anything you'd like to alert our listeners to? You should write a book, Tom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, keep an eye out for my book. In, um, it'll be coming out the same time we get those subs, I think, around 2040. <laughs> That'll be good. <laughs> My podcast is called Like I'm a Six-Year-Old. People can listen to that if they so wish. And if you're in Melbourne, I've got two shows at the Chapel Off Chapel Theatre, uh, which are going to be filmed, hopefully, if we can make it happen and lockdown's over. But, uh, yeah, you can go to my website to find out the details. We have a live Bugle show coming up in London at the Odeon in Leicester Square on the 13th of November as part of the Podicon uh, Festival and it will be uh, probably the showbiz event of this and any other millennium details online. We will now play you out with some lies about our premium level voluntary subscribers to join the Bugle voluntary subscription scheme and to make a one-off or recurring donation to keep the show free, flourishing and uh, independent. Go to buglepodcast.com and click the donate. David Reinertsen was intrigued by the leak of 12 million documents in the so-called Pandora Papers. However, like any right-thinking person, he could not be bothered to read all 12 million of them. It would have taken me at an estimated one minute per leak, says David, doing an eight-hour working day with time off for holidays, 100 years to do the lot. And seriously, I just don't have time for that. So I decided just to make up a few of my own leaks to save time and be disgusted by them instead. For example, did you know that former world number 78 tennis player Porsten Grabelnik of Germany owns a freezer containing enough hot dogs, mustard and buns to last his hometown of Floppenburg up to three months after a global apocalypse? Honestly, concludes David, these people. Jim Burtonwood overheard David outlining his make-up-your-own-leaks philosophy and was very much taken by it. We all know the basic thrust of these documents, says Jim, that the rich and powerful are, broadly speaking, shitbags, so why bother with tedious tax evasion gossip when you can just make up stuff that might as well be one of the 12 million actual leaks instead? 
I mean, who's going to know? For example, ex-Lichtensteinian minister for fishing Florian Herg sold the inside 70% of an Alp to the Saudi Arabian royal family, and when they voted in a meeting to relocate the mountain to their home country, Herg started a secret personal mine and would send a bucket of mountain innards to Saudi Arabia every week. See, it's just as reprehensible, but far more entertaining, concludes Jim. Catherine Clark is absolutely all over this by now. Listen up, I've heard that the CEO of the Greek finance house Kresa Bank, Stalactitis Trogloditu, invested 1.3 trillion crypto drachmas of investors' money in a project to crossbreed a horse with an eagle with a kangaroo to create the ultimate form of green transport, says Catherine, before adding, but for me, the big unreported news must be that Louis XIV of France is still alive. He's domiciled in Panama and he hasn't paid a single penny of tax anywhere since 1716, the year after he allegedly died. Leah Trueblood has come to the conclusion that these leaks are of no interest to anyone in their current indigestible form. They need to be presented more entertainingly for people to take an interest, like a game of match the shyster to the shysterous activity. I'll give you these three to start with. A. Ex-Prime Minister David Cameron. B. Actor John Voigt. And C. Cheating cyclist Lance Armstrong. Match them up with A. Stole the back half of a pantomime horse costume from a theatre just to spoil a Christmas treat for hundreds of children. B. Invested £10 million in a company that was developing a racist toaster. And C. Hides all his money in an endangered hippopotamus under the cover of running a hippo conservation charity. I'm telling you, if you present things like the Pandora Papers like a game show, you'll have the full, undivided attention of the entire world. Nicole Yeah, by contrast, has not even heard of the Pandora Papers, but has been doing her own research into what the hyper-wealthy get up to. I've surveyed in excess of 15 people, says Nicole, and extrapolating my findings, it does seem that, if public opinion is to be trusted, 99.94% of the world's tropical islands are now owned by billionaires who spend 57.78% of their time cackling at their Machiavellian schemes to take over the world, although in actual fact, only 16.43% of those billionaires do actually intend to take over the world, for which, says Nicole, I think we should be extremely thankful. Here endeth this week's lies. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety god what a hot sell this is i mean you 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 must be so excited listen now